The Chiefs are back in the Super Bowl, and the one constant to this team the entire season has been the Chief fix. Let's talk about it. You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of the KC Laboratory. Welcome in to a live Super Bowl edition of the KC Laboratory presented by Emprise Bank. Member FDIC, a very happy Super Bowl week to all you Chiefs fans and also the haters and non-believers that might be tuning in to watch this program. Thank you all so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to be hanging out with my friends. Maddie Lane, Craig Stout. Matthew, happy Super Bowl week, buddy. Happy Super Bowl week to you as well. Um, guys, my chair, it's not as firm as I want it to be. It's safe. It's safe. It passed the safety protocols, but it's not quite as firm as I would like to be. Craig, w- will you adjust your schedule so I can come use your chair, please? I, I I would love nothing more than for you and I to share a chair. Like, <laughs> like if that's what if that's what you're asking me here or... If you are making a not-so-veiled shot at the fact that apparently the San Francisco 49ers are more concerned with what the field conditions at UNLV are after requesting Saad be put down over the artificial turf there, the Chiefs getting to practice at Allegiant Field and not sharing the facility with them, even though that's exactly what has happened in every single Super Bowl. Mm. And the Kansas City Chiefs, who have played in you know, three of the last four Super Bowls, two of those, I believe they were in the not good facilities, including one in Tampa Bay, where Tampa Bay was in their home facilities. Now, I don't know if they complained about this. No, I don't know if I remember the, the field in Arizona being a big deal last year lots of conversation about that you said a lot about that right they said a lot about that they said a lot of things like hey listen we're we're both playing on the same field like it's we we gotta just show up and play we can't make it about the field if you're thinking about the field well then you know your head's not in the right spot oh no 49ers oh no the more like the 40 whiners am i right just thought of that off the top. Anyways, thank you everybody that's joining yeah. us today. We really do appreciate you all. It's like I it I we're not taking this for granted at all. Um, taking taking for granted being in the Super Bowl again. Taking for granted the fact that all of you care to listen to what we have to say at KC Sports Network. So thank you for jumping in for being part of the conversation. Um, we're gonna do two previews this week because we're hyped and we just thought it'd be kind of fun to maybe mix things up a little bit, maybe do kind of one side of the ball, you know, at a time. Um, So yeah, that's kind of what we're going to roll with. Uh, We're going to start with the chief fence playing the San Francisco 49ers offense. And uh, Maddie, I, I, you know, we've talked a lot about the, like, we do can we just do like early Super Bowl week vibes though? I just like vibe check early in the week of the Super yeah. Bowl before we get deep into the okay. Those like it's not a bad idea. A little bit. Okay. Kim was so ready to just crap all over this idea. No, I look. Last week on a very important week on this channel, Matthew proposed a new rating scale. Mulse. <laughs> Chat proposed a new rating scale. That's exactly That's what it was. Correct. Yes. Man of the people. 
<laughs> okay, uh, just early vibe checks. Vibe checks. Vibe checks on a Monday evening that leading up to the Super Bowl. Craig, where are we at with the vibes right now? I mean, I I spoke last week in one of our shows about how um, I I keep pegging back and forth between being you know too confident and maybe wondering when the other shoe is going to drop. And um, I have seemingly gotten somehow more confident. So um, <laughs> yeah, I I'm feeling great right about now, kid. Okay, so uh, it, it will foray perfectly into the conversation we're about to have uh, with the Chief Fence. I still feel very good. Um, I watched the wonderful productions that uh, friend my Dane Van Wy uh, put together with his team over at uh, 65 Toss Power Trap and watched all the playoff games this week. And I just, man, the vibes from the players and the focus from the players, I just... I. I'm not betting against it. I'm just not. I just feel I just feel real good about just this program, this team, the players, the focus, the mentality, all of it is just really strong. Um, there's a couple things that are concerning me just as far as just the, the game itself, but largely vibes are real high and there's no chance. I believe that this team is going to win and I, I think it'll be a tough challenge for sure, but I just feel really strongly that this team's going to win. Yeah, I mean, match matchup wise, I feel pretty good. I think the more I've kind of dove in, I, I understand the 49ers have been really good for a long, longer period this year. They've been right at the top of the standings all year. They have I mean, the best offense in the NFL all year. There's a lot that says the 49ers are a very good football team, and I want to very much acknowledge that. Great football team. I just, the more I watch, I really do see a lot of things that fall matchup wise the Chiefs. They just make me feel pretty good about it. So, like, on the field, I feel good. And, I think nothing more simple. We're going to break down this game, you know, both sides of it over the over this whole week. The, the two big things that stick out to me, the Chiefs have the better quarterback and the better defense. That's a tough pill to overcome if you're the 49ers. I get it. More talented weapons, maybe the offense is decent, so on and so forth. But one team has the quarterback advantage and the defense advantage. You're riding a way to start to win a Super Bowl on how to win a playoff game. Like, you start at one of those two spots. You either have a better defense, or you have the better quarterback. When one team has both, that makes me feel pretty good. And then you go on top of it, I don't know what the 49ers are doing this week, man. I just, there's a lot of talk and a lot of weird talking coming out. Kyle Shanahan sits down with Peter King, and he talks about how the last Super Bowl loss to the Chiefs hurt him more than the blowing of the lead as the offensive coordinator of the Atlanta Falcons to the New England Patriots. The Losing to the Chiefs hurts him more. Like, what, what are we doing? I just don't understand what that team's the vibes over there for that team are doing. I, this feels like a game if the Chiefs come out and punch them in the mouth. I'm not sure the 49ers recover. I don't think the Niners can fall behind like they did against Detroit or get into a brawl like they did against the Packers and feel good about it. It's like I feel pretty good from the Chiefs' perspective right now. Uh, and we want to shout out uh, Joseph Jackson. How concerned are you about the 49ers' 22 personnel? I'm concerned about the Chiefs in base defending the run action, and the play action. Uh, we will get into that in a second. Thank you, Joseph Jackson, again, for filling that out. But, Maddie, like you do bring up a good point, we're, and we'll get into all that. Trust me, Joseph, we got some good conversations to have here. But, um, yeah, the, the I, I think the maturity factor plays into all this, like with Kyle Shanahan and the, and the scar tissue that he experienced. And, you know, there's really not that much experience, Super Bowl experience on the Niners side of this. People forget, like, in the turnover between these two teams the last time around, there's not going to be a ton of carryover, and the Chiefs have a lot of the important carryover at the important positions. 
there's some mentality stuff. There's a lot of whining going on literally by the San Francisco 49ers. They are whining out their teeth about every single little thing. I don't know what it, if they're trying to set expectations for the game. or I, I don't know what they're trying to do, but it is it is a mess. Are you guys ready to talk about the defense or is there anything else you want to talk about with the vibes? I think that's it. I think that kind of that that's good for the early season vibe. Early week for sure. Check. Let's go. Okay, let's talk about let's talk about Chief Vince versus uh versus the Niners. For the, versus the Winers. I might call them the Winers the rest of the week, honestly. Uh the last time that you nicknamed the 49ers, the Chiefs beat them in the Super Bowl. I think that people need to remember that. That's a good point. Yeah. The, we've gone from the 33 years to the Winers. It's time. Um I think 40 Winers rolls off the tongue better. You gotta 40 Winers? Okay. We've had the fraud goals and now we have the 40 Winers. For sure. I wish cry eagles cry. Um, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of tears. There's a lot of tears. Those tears are what are what are keeping that field soggy. I think. Uh, over there and over at the practice facility. Okay, we got to get this thing back on track. Um, the I mean the Niners offense presents a lot of different challenges. There's really good skill set. Really good. Really good. Um, skill players on this team. Kyle Shanahan's great play caller always has a very good, strong, diverse run scheme. I really want to feel like we, I feel like we should be starting with the run scheme. Maddie, is that where you want to start? I mean, it, it kind of feels like the, I mean, that's the, that's the, the driving factor for this thing. So like, like just kind of go from there and just start from there. So I know you spent a lot of time looking at the run, run game here. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I feel like that's the right place to start when you're looking at the Chiefs' defense, right? Like, that's kind of, I think, where you have to start because that is the weakness of what the Chiefs' defense has been most of the season, whereas their passing defense has been excellent. So you start with the run game, and hey, by the way, the 49ers lead the NFL in rush EPA per play and just about every other, like, other every offensive stat you can come up with, right? But the run game is exceptional, and it's interesting because I don't think their offensive line is as good as it was the last time these two teams met. I think Agreed. this offensive line definitely has taken some steps back. Even the best player on it, Trent Williams, isn't the same guy he once was. Like, they don't have these just absolute maulers of an offensive line. They completely dominate everybody. But what they do have is a Christian McCaffrey who is very good and he makes these offensive linemen who, again, are solid, just not maybe as good as they were a couple years ago right routinely. And so then you add on Kyle Shanahan's very varied run scheme and yeah a lot of it bases out of the zone stuff most specifically wide zone and they do it from under the shotgun so that immediately opens up right now you can hit outside to all the way to the backside of the center when you run from underneath center you can hit anywhere along the offensive line so what do the 49ers try to do in the run game they want to spread you out horizontally and find a cutback lane now if you leave the edge open they'll take it i mean they ran the ball outside of play they had 100 mccaffrey had 171 carries that went outside the tackles to either side for over 600 yards, like over 50% of his carries went outside the tackles. So they will run outside, but their entire goal is to spread you horizontally and find the cutback lanes. Hey, guess what? This is, I don't know, zone running 101. That's what they're trying to do. And I think teams have gotten into trouble when they try to play with a light box and spill these runs and chase them to the sideline. Because then what happens? Maybe you don't win the race to the sideline against a good running back, but even if you do, say you start winning that race, guess what? Your linebackers are getting on their horse early. They're getting out wide fast. You're leaving the cutback lanes open all over the place. And Christian McCaffrey's so good at finding those. So it will be super important, I think, for the Chiefs to shut down the outside runs, force everything between the tackles, but keeping extra bodies there and not trying to outpace them to the edge. Similar to what we talked about against the Dolphins. It's just for a different reason, right? It's it's same concept for a different reason. You want to box these run fits. You want to contain everything between the tackles, 
where all the backside pursuit can just squeeze down on it and squeeze the life out of this run game because I don't think you can spill this rushing attack and shut down outside and the cutbacks at the same time. Yeah, that's part of the issue there. It's easy to say, you know, if the Chiefs are in their base, you know, 4-3 defense, they come out there, 49ers, you know, as was referenced. Sorry, 40, 49ers? As was referenced in the Super Chat earlier, Kent. Um, they could use 22 personnel. They go as heavy as that, but they love to live in 21 personnel and move Kyle Juszczyk all over the place. Yeah, Joseph Jackson, Super Chat here. They move him all over the place. So he will be an end man on the line of scrimmage. He will line up in the backfield. It's hard to get a bead on what it's going to be and what they're going to do there. But that probably means the Chiefs are going to live in their base defense. And if they're living in their base defense, I've watched enough, you know, teams try and counter it with various things here. And the thing that I see working the most, at least forcing the 49ers into tendencies is by bringing a linebacker up to the line of scrimmage. We have seen Steve Spagnuolo do this a ton with Leo Chanel, and it makes sense because he is a linebacker that you can play at the point of attack and not give up a ton of ground. Not to say that a guy like Willie Gay Jr. can't do that as well. We've seen it. But Leo Chanel is just next-level powerful, can take on a guard, stack at the line of scrimmage. The entire premise of a zone-blocking scheme is to combo and climb to the second level to seal linebackers off, leave multiple holes, the, the cutback lanes that Maddie's talking about, or spill all the way to the edge. By lining Leo Chanel on the line of scrimmage, standing up there, having him engage a guard immediately, shifting the backside of the defense over, shifting the front side a little bit wider, you are in a scenario there with your four down linemen and Leo Chanel where you can engage all five of the offensive linemen at the point of attack. And if all five of those guys hold the point of attack, as the Chiefs have at times this year, you eliminate a lot of those cutback lanes passively. Then you can allow somebody like a Willie Gay Jr. or a Nick Bolton to kind of chase where Juszczyk is going. You can have some run support with, you know, Justin Reed coming downhill, uh, Shamari Connor if he's on the field, or, you know, Trent McDuffie or Legereus Sneed on the outside. Those guys are fine tacklers in space as well. The Chiefs are uniquely equipped to kind of play this way and force the 49ers' hands. I know that Maddie just said you don't always want to spill it. The Chiefs are one of the few teams that I feel like can spill a little more and get away with it because their defensive backs are so good at tackling in space. But either way, you need to bring more guys up to the line of scrimmage. Don't allow the 49ers, because Kyle Shanahan is terrific at this, don't allow the 49ers to key off of this zone run game, get offensive linemen, tight ends, whoever it is, climbing to the second level without a body on them, I would much rather just say, hey, Leo, align at the line of scrimmage, align at the B-gap, take on that guard when you are in the base defense, and just get that like-for-like, that five-man front, that five-man surface for the Kansas City Chiefs defense, and try and eliminate some of those cutback lanes Make the reads easier for Willie Gay Jr. Make the reads easier for Nick Bolton. Allow those DBs to play into it a little bit. So, I mean, we're talking walking a walking a linebacker up, just static pre-snap. Do you think that there's any any value to run blitzing at all? Uh, I, I think it gets into some dicey territory there. Watch the Vikings this year try it. Watch the the Ravens try it a little bit. 
And boy, you're just asking for a big play. Christian McCaffrey's just that good that if you run blitz, if you got Nick Bolton, you know, who's a very smart player, getting downhill, penetrating into the backfield, if you don't read it perfectly in that scenario, now all of a sudden you're in trouble because McCaffrey is just that good. I would rather build the wall personally and try and make him kind of stop his feet a little bit more, read it out a little bit more, and try and kind of box it in more than rather just try and create these negative plays down after down. And going with the five-man surface, I mean, you're you're eliminating double teams from, from the offensive linemen, you're forcing a lot more one-on-ones, and you're taking away some of the advantageous angles on the backside. So you're allowing your backside guys in the line to pursue down the line of scrimmage better, which then can close this hard cutback lane that we're talking about back to the backside of the center, behind the play, or wherever it may be. Run blitzing can accomplish the same thing is if the player gets through, but if they get caught at all, you're still dealing with the same idea that your angles for the offensive line are going to be a lot better, traditionally still coming from a basic even front, and you're going to have more double teams. So I'm not saying it's a bad idea. It's just if that's your goal, I think right now, from what I've seen, the Chiefs might as well just go with the five-man surface, and Leo Chanel and Drew Tranquil have been great in those moments. They've done a great job, whether it's sitting up on the edge or taking on a guard if they want to tuck them inside. So I, I don't see a reason the Chiefs shouldn't do that. And because the 49ers will play so much 21 personnel, I think you're going to see a lot of it. Like, I think you will see a lot of stuff where the Chiefs do go five across the front. I'm also curious to see if they start playing with the alignment a little bit. Maybe you see some tight front stuff. Maybe you see some things that resemble a bare front just to further mess with, with those angles that the offensive line is going to get, and then you dare the quarterback to beat you, which we will obviously get to shortly. Oh, we definitely that, will. Yeah, and that is definitely going to be the case when they go nickel, Maddie. Like, if they get into their, you know, sub package, the 49ers are going to play plenty of 21 and 12, but they're going to play plenty of 11 as well. So the Chiefs will be in sub packages. They have trotted out that 3-3-5 defense enough aligning it as kind of a tight front, kicking Leo Chanel, kicking Drew Tranquil down, who can hold the point of attack. Yeah, not as good as Leo Chanel, but can still hold the point of attack. You're creating still that five-man surface, that tight front, and you can still play sub-package out of it. Again, I, the Chiefs are uniquely equipped to play that way. We've seen it at times this year. We haven't seen a full commitment to that. We've just kind of seen it sprinkled in. But when we've seen it sprinkled in, it's been very effective and then they go back, you know, to some of their more basic stuff, the, the stuff that they've been doing in the past, and you see some of the success, you know, kind of go away in the run game specifically. Certainly improves in the pass game, but goes away a little bit in the run game. But just because you get into sub packages doesn't mean that the Chiefs can't still create that five man service. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back right after this. We appreciate you supporting KC Sports Network by listening to our podcast. You have helped us become the highest-ranked Chiefs podcast network in 2022 and 2023. And don't forget about our daily Substack newsletter, the best written analysis you can find on the Chiefs straight to your inbox every day. kcsn.substack.com We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thank you, everybody, hanging out with us today. Getting ready for yet another Chiefs Super Bowl. We are talking about the Chief Vents against the 49ers offense. And look, we've spent 20 minutes on the run game. Uh three minutes make I guess three minutes making fun of the, the 40 winers, 17 minutes talking about the run game. And Greg and Matt still have more to talk about on this run game. So yeah. of course I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is gonna be the longest episode ever. And that's okay. Let's do it. It's a Super Bowl episode. Get, you get an entire an entire episode later this week dedicated to the offense. You'll be okay. All right. Um, we, we spent a lot of time talking about how the Chiefs might be okay against the run game and what we think they can do to slow it down, which I agree with all of. We it, it would be unfair to go from the other side of this. The 49ers zone block over three fourths of their run plays. Seventy five percent is zone blocking. Here's how the Chiefs roughly do against zone blocking. They give up four point six two yards per carry. 29th in the NFL, 52% success rate, 29th in the NFL, and 31st in stuff rate, which means essentially stopping a run for a negative or non-positive play, 30, and I said they're 31st in the NFL. Not good. The yeah. teams are actively bad against zone run plays. They've oddly been better against gap stuff, which and you start to think about like why a run defense is bad. It's usually because they're a little softer. They get pushed around. That hasn't necessarily been the Chiefs' case. It's not that they're just getting straight dominated they just don't do a very good job of closing down these lanes that we're talking about, looking for these cutbacks and stuff like that. They don't usually do a great job of shutting them down and, and filling them with the second level. They're set their linebackers. I mean, I, this isn't attacking any specific person, but like Nick Bolton is uh, most commonly the Mike, the amount of times that he gets a guy that free climb on him, whether it's his fault for not beating him or the defensive tackles fault for not occupying him he gets swallowed up on a lot of run plays. And when you're going to lose that your middle linebacker every single run play on a zone run, that gets tough because then your backside linebacker has to work through that traffic. It's It gets difficult. So they have had some struggles against zone runs this year. I will say in the playoffs, they've obviously stepped their game up. And I think, I mean, the simple solution has been them really just adding more guys to the box. They yeah. just kind of been like, deal with more players and let's see what happens. And it hasn't bit them yet. So I think they'll probably try that again to cover for that. That's what I wanted to ask because, like, I think this is where a lot of my concern when I was talking a little bit earlier about the things that are starting to pop up that are giving me a little bit of, ing ing you know, a little bit of nerves heading into this game because I haven't really felt them. I just felt really strong. But, like, I think we've seen, you know, uh, the Chiefs have seen a Shaney Tree team already in this playoffs and they shut it down and they've played some Shaney Tree teams and had some success against them defensively. And, you know, we've seen, like you said, like Maddie po posted a, a a thread on on a five man surface this earlier this week. Do we think that? Do we think that what they, you know, do we do we feel good about what this team has shown recently to to kind of 
slow down some of those nerves that you might have about what this looks, what this has looked like for a larger sample size, I guess is the question. Yeah, I mean, I I think the Chiefs have definitely turned a little bit of a corner in the playoffs, and whether that's just taking up the intensity, whether it has been figuring out some stuff with... Adding to the box. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) the five-man surface stuff is one thing, and it's like a minor thing. Realistically, when you play with five down linemen and you're the Chiefs' defensive structure, you're just getting an extra player in the box, right? You're just increasing the amount of players you have there. So yes, the five-man like defensive line for service helps, but it's really the fact that you added another player to the box to account for all the stuff. So like, I think they've definitely made some adjustments that have helped. I think they're also just probably playing a little bit better. And like if you know, call you know a spade a spade, the Ravens did a really bad job of challenging them in this regard. The, the Bills, the Bills ran the ball and they ran it well, but a lot of that was Josh Allen stuff or the threat of Josh Allen. If Brock Purdy doesn't strike that same fear, it's not like the Bills were dicing them up with zone runs. They were kind of just doing QB stuff and running a lot of power and the Chiefs weren't even just getting blown off the ball. They just were, you know, they were having a hard time dealing with the rushing of Josh Allen there. And then you go back to the Dolphins game. They had zero fear of Tua and it allowed them to play the run again by adding guys to the box, by handling all the motions and the heavy personnel. So they have figured stuff out, but I think the matchups that they have gone through have also helped them out a little bit. I don't know if the 49ers will be so easily scared on, out of their run game because of so much of their passing game centers around play action coming off the wide zone looks they they probably won't get scared out of it as easy there will be pressure on the Chiefs to have some answers and again I think that starts with they're going to probably have to live with the heavier box I don't think that they should try to stop the 49ers rushing attack with a light box just to stop Purdy I think you go the other way I think you stop the run game and deal with what Purdy's going to do rather than vice versa because I think it's more likely you get run out of the football game by Christian McCaffrey going off for the first quarter and a half than Brock Purdy playing in a league game. Absolutely the case. Uh, and I think it, referring to like that Dolphins game, you know, again, they they didn't really care about Tua throwing the ball. That wasn't their main concern. They they wanted to shut down the run game. The Miami Dolphins had a 37.5% success rate on the day at, at running the ball against the Kansas City Chiefs. That's not good. Like that that's actively bad. You know, you're barely over a third of the time that you're running the ball, you're getting ahead of the sticks. For reference, the Buffalo Bills throughout the playoffs, it was 57%. That's higher than the 49ers were in the playoffs. Now, some of that has to do with the fact that they were playing the Kansas City Chiefs who are particularly good at defending the run, but it is one of those scenarios where I look at it a little bit I mean, a single game sample size where you get to play a lot more base defense with two weeks to prepare, there is a lot of stuff that Steve Spagnuolo can bring to the table. A lot of different looks. We talked about a couple of them. Steve Spagnuolo is going to have all kinds of wrinkles where they're going to try and box guys in. They're going to rotate guys into the box. They're going to try and create advantageous scenarios. We talked about how the Ravens didn't do a particularly good job of playing to their strengths because Steve Spagnuolo is presenting them looks that invited the pass. Hey, we want you to throw against us. We want to make Lamar a drop back passer. There are tendencies that I have watched when I'm when I'm sitting here watching the 49ers offense that you can make them pass out of 21 personnel more often than not by giving them specific looks. The Ravens did a really good job with that. The Browns did a really good job with that. The Vikings didn't. And so you look at some of those lessons learned in some of those games and you see some of the ways that you can force some tendencies you can force them out of some stuff and still get advantageous looks. I fully believe that we're not going to just see 
the base defense that was installed in training camp by the Kansas City Chiefs. And again, I think most defenses, that's what you get when you're playing throughout the season because there's just not enough time to sit down and go, the small number of snaps that we're going to play in the base this week, we've got to add some layers to it. They're going to be playing a lot more base this week against the San Francisco 49ers. I think that Steve Spagnuolo has something up his sleeve for that. Chris Jones, when asked about it today, just kind of smiled and just kind of shook his head. It's just like, you know, we're we're ready, you know. So I, I think that there is a game plan there. I think there's something there that we are going to see to try and create advantageous looks for the Chiefs. Yeah, that's one thing I'm kind of curious about. <clears throat> and it's just how how can you vary it up? How can you mix things up a little bit? Um, how can you present them, you know, a, a, a few wrinkles that they have to worry about in the run game, right? Like, I, I, I just, how? What what can you do? Is it personnel? Is it, I mean, loading the box up, right? And and daring them. And, like, we, I, I, you guys are ready to talk about the passing game. We can get into that real quick. Or, or are you guys about ready to, okay. Well, I'm first going to tell you uh, about a super offer for Super Bowl 58. DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. New customers can bet on the big game and turn five bucks into 200 instantly in bonus bets. The Chiefs are currently plus money to win this sporting event. If you were wondering, Chris Jones is plus 10,000 to win uh, MVP if you are looking for somebody on the defensive side of the ball to take advantage of that. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code KCSN. New customers can bet five bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 58 with code KCSN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort, Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. CDKNG.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. We're going to take a break. We'll be back right after this. We appreciate you supporting KC Sports Network by listening to our podcast. You have helped us become the highest ranked Chiefs Podcast Network in 2022 and 2023. And don't forget about our daily Substack newsletter, the best written analysis you can find on the Chiefs straight to your inbox every day. KCSN.substack.com. Thank you again, everyone that's hanging out with us tonight. Chief Fence versus the 40 Winers offense. Well, just like to let it know, be known, the Chiefs practiced in pads outside in the rain today, and I don't think I've heard a single complaint that they had to do that. Oh, really? They asked to do it, actually. Wow. Weird. Huh. I can't get it. I genuinely, they are complaining about everything. Can't wait to see them. I can't wait to see what they complain about after they lose this game. Um. Anyways, you got like six more days of them completing leading up to the game. I <laughs> can't wait to see what like I can't wait to see what Wednesday's wine is. Wine Wednesday. <laughs> I got them. I wine Wednesday. I can't wait to see what it is. Uh, Usher's music was too loud. Uh, I don't know. Anyways, let's move on. So we're talking here a little bit about like hey like. Trying to defend the run, trying to stop the run, try to kill the engine of this team and this, you know, this really good Niners run defense. And, you know, I I was thinking about this because Craig, you brought it up 
it reminded me of it the other day when we were talking. And, you know, you said, what did the Chiefs do to the Eagles last year? They kind of dared Jalen Hurts to beat them. And Jalen Hurts played out of his mind and played the best game of probably his career. Absolutely. And, yes. and, and that made things really interesting. And I just, you know, I go back to that. And it's the same thing. It's this team should probably do the same thing is make Brock Purdy beat him. Make Brock, not Patrick Mahomes, make Brock Purdy a fine quarterback beat him the same way they tried to make Jalen Hurts beat him last year. I mean, that's got to be the formula, right? Yes. I mean, yeah, that's, I, I think so. I, Cool, Brock Purdy. That man's an enigma. I don't, I can't imagine being a 49ers fan and rooting for him or that team because it's such a roller coaster within every single game. Like, you'll watch him and sometimes, like, he will make, he doesn't know what he doesn't know. And I don't mean, like, in terms of, like, the grand scheme of football, but, like, even on a given play, he'll just completely not see a blitzer coming from the backside, not address it whatsoever, not throw hot whatsoever, take a shot and completely airmail a pass because he has no idea it's coming. Zero clue. Then guess what? He'll do it again the next drive, but this time he'll complete a dime on a 15-yard out into a tiny window thrown with, I mean, a half second, full half second of anticipation. You're just like, what What do you do with this? How do you, This guy goes out there and makes big play after big play late in games, whether it's with his legs or his arm. You can't deny it. He's a good quarterback in the NFL, but man, you watch through the entire sample size. You watch through everything, and you're, I mean, you're pulling out so many times where he's giving a defense a chance to make a big play. So many things that he's just, I mean, flat out missing, whether it's just coverage bust, whether it's blitz coming, whether it's just a flat out inaccurate pass because he can't see over the offensive lineman in front of his lap. Like, there's so much good and bad in his game that I don't even know how you begin to process what Brock Purdy's going to be. On a good day, he can absolutely beat a very good defense. He can play well enough to beat even the best defenses in the NFL. And on a not-so-good day, he can make a really bad defense not doing anything particularly good look great. See the Green Bay Packers, right? And yeah. so I just, I don't know what you do with Brock Purdy as like a fan trying to watch him and rooting for him because there's enough good to always be pulled in, but there's enough bad that I would want to pull my hair out trying to watch him for four quarters every single week when you start playing against the best teams. And I guess that is probably why you have seen such drastic splits in his performance versus top five passing defenses and bottom 10 passing defenses, it's just because he makes some very big mistakes and he makes them frequently. Yeah, it's one of those, like, uh, throughout the year, you could tell who hadn't really, like, paid super close attention to the 49ers because it was like, oh, Brock Purdy's just a, a product of Kyle Shanahan. Man, Brock Brock Purdy's out there doing some stuff that's well outside of Kyle Shanahan's scheme right now. So he, he is not that. But Matty's spot on. Look at the Minnesota Vikings game, which I went back and watched all of a couple of times because Brian Flores brings so many different exotic blitzes. And I'm thinking, okay, well, let's see. Because Brett Purdy is terrific against the blitz. Like, he is exceptional against the blitz. He's absolutely outstanding. Okay, let's go see how he handled a number of exotic blitzes. So I go and I watch that. And this man is dealing. He's finding his hot routes. He's making all the right reads. Everything's happening on time. Everything's right there. And then he just throws the game away at the end of the game. Two terrible, terrible interceptions where he misses 
a backside defender. I flip on the Baltimore Ravens game. Again, exotic pressure looks, bringing guys from different levels, trying to dictate the game a little bit. Purdy was not particularly good in that. And once again, tries to hit a deep post to, I believe it was Debo Samuel on this play. might've been Ayuk. But Kyle Hamilton just sitting in a split safety look at the goal line. And, you know, the 12 personnel, he's got two tight ends to the, to the his side of the field. Neither of the tight ends stretches him vertically, so he just hangs out on the goal line, reading Purdy's eyes, <laughs> just dead set on this post, throws it straight to Kyle Hamilton, like who's just sitting there at the goal line. We see it too many times from him, and yes, he's young. Yes, he's learning some of this stuff, but it, it makes me, when I watch him against these really good passing defenses where he doesn't have the kind of separation for some of his guys that he's used to against even average guys because that is where Kyle you know kind of thrives is getting guys open when you see these other teams pass things off take care of the you know uh, the guys that are late motioning across the formation they're able to pick some of this stuff up now all of a sudden Purdy's got to come off of his first read come off of his second read and he thinks he's got something and he throws it anyway and that's what we're talking about when we're talking about Purdy because when he's We's sitting there, he's in the pocket, he's able to kind of get some of those things going, he's able to build that confidence, he's able to see the blitz, and he's able to adjust to it regularly, he's exceptional. He really is. He's been terrific this year. I totally get why he was getting some of the hype that he was getting. And then you turn it on its head against some of these good defenses that can pass this stuff off more regularly, and he turns into a pumpkin. Like, he he struggles to move the ball down the field. He still layers some throws over the top of these, like, throwing the Ravens game that, it that like, we should be talking about more as an exceptional throw. And then he does something like the Kyle Hamilton play that I'm talking about. So it is a little bit of a roller coaster. You got to get to him. The Chiefs secondary is one of the best in the league, and they've been the best passing defense in the NFL in the postseason this year. They are really good at handling some of these exchanges and things like that. They're so in sync. It makes me really look at this and go, I think Brock Purdy's in for a tough day because those are the things that have given him so much trouble throughout the season. So uh, you talked about Seattle. Or no, you talk, talk about Minnesota. You talked about Baltimore. You throw in Detroit and Green Bay, the two playoff games that these, this team uh, has played, and you've got four of the six lowest adjusted net yards per attempt games for Brock Purdy. Um, the Browns the, were also in there. Another top passing defense. Yeah, yeah. I just thirty five percent of the dropbacks. Yeah, I think, I you know, I think there's yeah, there's I think there's feast or famine to Brock Purdy, right? And I think there's some lucrative, you know, the, the, there's some there's something lucrative about him on some opportunities there, and like, but I think he can get got. Like, think I think what you said is the level of consistency, right? There are ways to get after him. There are ways to um, expose him, and I think you know the two. He hasn't played particularly well in the playoff season. I think you're kind of slowly seeing the shine wear off him a little bit. The best play that he made all playoffs might have been a pass that, uh, a touchdown that went off the helmet of a of a Lions defender this week or this last week. You know, I think he, yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I think he can get got. You just got got done talking about blitzes and and pressures and and trying to get after him and being aggressive. I think I think you I think you go out and you you give him a, you put a lot on his plate, right? I think that's like I think that's the formula, and it's blitzing, it's sim pressures, it's you know dropping out, it's it's mm-hmm. it's mixing things up, and it's just 
putting a lot on a young guy's plate that still hasn't seen a ton of football and enough football, um, that starts with earning the right to get into those situations. You know, it, it, I mean, that, that was part of the formula is is earning the right to get into those situations by stopping the run early. Um, and I'll talk about Brock Purdy on first down here in a little bit. But um, I, I think that that's you've got to earn the right. And then if you can earn the right, and I think good things can really happen. I think you can. I think you're going to get a high variance, Brock Purdy. And if you can avoid giving up explosive plays, I think I I like the formula for this team. Well, and one last thing on the blitz, like he Brock Purdy was amazing versus the blitz this year. The efficiency was through the roof. But if you go through game by game, a lot of it's on games where he was blitzed like five times, six times, seven times in the game. So what was happening is the 49ers were catching teams perfectly when they were calling into their blitz. And a lot of that is going to be because they play out of 21 personnel so much. They suspect blitz. You know what the 49ers do? They they sleeve George Kittle or Christian McCaffrey into block. Guess what we call that? A win. So like <laughs> they're leaving one of their best pass catchers into block when they see pressure. And they just happen to be calling. They happen to have the right answer when teams seldomly blitz them. And it was probably a very good read by the offensive coaching staff to get the right calls in and a good job of Brock Purdy of realizing it and making them play by pushing the ball downfield. But then you go look at games like the Cleveland Browns or the Baltimore Ravens. And while the blitz numbers weren't high, it was the different looks. It was the changing picture. It was guys bringing pressure from different spots that was really giving them trouble. So all of a sudden now you're getting a blitz look and whether it's coming or not, it's still giving you pressure. All of a sudden when that's the look every other play, it looks funky. It looks like there might be pressure. Now, all of a sudden, you start to see the efficiency wait, and you get to the playoffs. Same thing in the first half versus the Lions. Every time they blitz, seemed like it was a mistake for the 49ers because they were doing it a lot to start the game. Even the Green Bay Packers were blitzing, and they don't do that very often. And I, by blitzing, I mean they just lined five guys up at the line of scrimmage and said, <laughs> all five. Let's, yeah. Let me be very clear about what the Packers <laughs> did. But it was still causing some issues, right? And so I think... Yes, the efficiency is good. Yes, Brock Purdy was very good against the Blitz this year, but I don't think you let the numbers scare you away from being Steve Spagnuolo and mixing stuff up and going with the Blitz-heavier approach that you haven't done the past two weeks in the playoffs yeah. because you've been afraid of the mobility of the opposition. You try to heat them up and, oh, okay, let's say you send five or six and it doesn't get home, but here's where the real benefit comes in. One, I already said you're keeping George Kittle or CMC in the block. That's good. It also sets you up with a bunch of one-on-ones against an okay offensive line. What happens when an okay offensive line starts to give up ground because they're all in one-on-ones and you have a 8th percentile height quarterback trying to stand in the pocket with a weaker arm compared to a lot of the top-end quarterbacks in the NFL trying to throw from off-arm angles off his back foot. He starts changing stuff up. He starts floating passes all over the field. Brock Purdy doesn't throw the ball well with guys around him in the pocket. Yes, no quarterback does, but there's a huge gap going from Tom Brady, who I know is the greatest ever, but a six foot five quarterback standing in the pocket, throwing the football over the top of everyone and a six foot barely quarterback trying to throw the ball around helmets, right? So just condensing the pocket on Brock Purdy completely alters how he plays the position of quarterback and he makes a lot of really bad throws in those situations, gets a lot of tipped footballs in those situations when he can't step into his throws, I think that's some, like, rather than even just getting straight pressure, you just want to try to constrict the pocket, give Purdy nowhere to step and go, and he will give your secondary plenty of opportunities to make plays. I first want to shout out Flapjack City for his couple of Super Chats and Butch Davis for his Super Chats. Really appreciate you guys for doing that. Um, 
it's not even that you have to blitz either because you can do a lot of this. You can get the one-on-one looks that you want against this specific offensive line by showcasing some of this. You, you know what we just got done talking about? Mugging Leo Chanel up in the B-gap out of 21 personnel? Guess what? That means that everybody is also man-on-man blocking. That means it's one-on-one. And the way that the Baltimore Ravens were able to really keep Brock Purdy uncomfortable for most of the day was by showing those mugging linebackers, by showing Roquan, Patrick Queen, maybe bringing you know another defensive lineman in there and then dropping them out, showing blitz. Then you're doing it enough. Don't get me wrong. You you still got to make them honor it. You still got to show it, make them honor it. But dropping out, those were the ones where you saw him get to the top of his drop and start patting the ball a little bit. And that's when you started seeing guys like Michael Pierce driving the center back into Brock Purdy's lap. Justin Matabuke trying to get pressure. The Chiefs had the kind of guys that can get pressure on the interior there. Chris Jones in a one-on-one matchup all game long because they're worried about what they've got to shift and what they've got to sift out because the Chiefs are constantly blitzing because Leo Chanel is standing right there in the A-gap. That's terrifying. That should be terrifying for every 49ers fan to think about how often he can get that look. And so when you're doing that, you're presenting the same sort of scenario. You're forcing guys to try and stay in. Have Trip McDuffie maybe tip his hand a little bit early on a blitz or two and still come. Know that that's part of the game plan here. Then a little bit later in the game, you fake that that's going to happen, drop out. Now all of a sudden, you've got Christian McCaffrey or George Kittle hanging a second longer before they get out in their route, and you've still got now a one-on-one for Chris Jones on the inside on a four-man rush. There are still advantageous looks that you can get there. And on top of that, the 49ers, when they see that extra defender in the box, if it's against a 3-4 base defense and you see the the defender basically leaning forward in there or against a 4-3 defense where you've got a mugged up linebacker, they're going to throw. That's what they want to do. They're they're not going to run. They they rarely run against that look. So Hmm. you can dictate some of that to the 49ers offense you can have leo chanel there still send him on a blitz see if he gets home cool whatever but know that more often than not your linebackers don't have to take a positive first step towards the line of scrimmage to defend it because the tendency is going to dictate that they're going to throw the ball out of that it makes it a lot easier for you as a defense when you get to tee off on some of that so There's opportunities here to manipulate some of that sort of stuff, to manipulate the offensive line, to manipulate the play call, all of that sort of stuff that plays into this matchup in a big way towards the Chiefs defense. And like a chance to break some of those tendencies if you're the Niners, though. I mean, you know, like this is the time to do that. (laughs) Absolutely. And they should. (laughs) And I, I do wonder about early down passing, though. Like, I just, I wonder if, like, I do wonder if there is, you know, they, they try to get into some early down passing just to get out of play action and, and get him, you know, trying to get a rhythm for, for Brock Purdy, try to put the Chiefs on their heels a little bit more because I do think the Chiefs, you know, are going to try to sell out to stop the run. I think, you know, they're going to, like, they should try to make this a Brock Purdy versus Patrick Mahomes game. That you should try to make any game a quarterback versus Patrick Mahomes game. Um, you know, a big decisive factor in the game last year was the mistakes that, Jalen Hurts made, even though he played awesome, uh, fumbling the ball to, by himself. Um, 
But yeah, I just I wonder. I wonder if, you know, Shani tries to get some shot plays too. Like that's the other thing is like, is it early down shot plays? Like I know it puts you behind the sticks potentially a little bit, but with how the run game has kind of struggled, you know, maybe they try to take some shots down the, you know, or the run defense has struggled for the Chiefs. You know, maybe they feel like they can get back into a manageable situation on the, the sticks on second down because they're aggressive trying to take some shots down the field. We really haven't seen a ton of teams be able to generate a bunch of explosive plays against the Chiefs, especially in the air. And you know, that might be an opportunity where they try to, you know, get Brandon Ayuk matched up with somebody and, and try to, you know, take a shot down the field. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I could see that I could see the Niners trying to be a little bit more aggressive on first down, thinking that they might be able to put themselves in a manageable third down with a better run on second down. So try to burn a few first downs with some aggressive shots down the field is something like I'm definitely paying attention to in this game. I mean, we're deep into this, right? And we've barely touched on the 49ers' weapons, and they have some of the best receiving weapons in the entire NFL, right? Christian McCaffrey's a stud out of the backfield as a receiver, and George Kittle is the second or third best tight end in the NFL, and Brandon Ayuk's been exceptional, and somehow Debo Samuel might be more important to their offense, and Jawan Jennings is somehow making two big catches every single game, and that's all he does. And so, like, the, the receiving core is great. Now, I think the reason we don't spend as much time on that as we have in past years is because we probably feel pretty good about the Chiefs defensive backs going up against all these guys. Like, yes, Christian McCaffrey matched up against any linebacker in the NFL is going to be a problem, right? Yeah. Chiefs are probably going to play a lot of zone, though. I don't foresee them, especially with as much run defense as they're going to have to be, you know, trying to have their secondary working it on. If you're playing with the heavier box and stuff, you're probably going to have a lot more zone calls going in, especially on early downs so that you can get the DBs up and involved in the run game. So like, I I wanted to say, I didn't want to just say like the 49ers have great weapons. Any one of these guys can take over a game and have a huge game and make it very difficult on the opposing defense. It's just to me, it's a lot more interesting. Is not going to be is Brandon Ayuk going to go out there and route up Lejarius Steed for an entire game? Probably not. Is Debo Samuel going to just be completely unstoppable from one of these, the Chiefs, who are a very good tackling football team with a lot of good DBs that play in the slot or outside? Probably not. Will those guys have good games? Maybe, but I don't think that they will just be completely dominant and run the Chiefs off the field like Jamar Chase did a couple years ago for the Fraud Colts, right? I just don't see that kind of game coming from any of these weapons because of how good the Chiefs are. The most difficult matchups are going to be handling Kittle or check coming across on play action on these deep crossers. The, the 49ers have done a very good job this year of finding those guys and pull, hitting them off of play action. Late in plays, so like, that is something to keep an eye on, and that will be up to the safeties to keep their eyes on them and not get beat. It will be up on the linebackers to drip back under passing lanes and like, hey, Brock Purdy, we've given him a lot of flack. I will say this, he throws a lot of anticipation. He will throw the ball out there for a yeah. guy, but well before he's out of the break. It's awesome. It creates amazing throws. You know what else it does? It results in a lot of footballs being thrown right to defenders that he doesn't expect to be there. And I think this goes back to he's not... This isn't Jared Goff with Sean McVay where he's being told what to do pre-snap, but the play call is the play call, and it starts where Kyle Shanahan wants it to start, and it goes to where Kyle Shanahan wants it to go. So if Brock Purdy starts the play, and it says start to the left, Brock Purdy's starting to the left no matter what the coverage is, and if it remotely looks open, he's throwing that ball, and he'll throw it early, and if the Chiefs are rotating coverage at that time, there is a chance it ends up going right to the chest of a player a la Kyle Hamilton a la the Green Bay Packers safety that dropped one that literally hit him in the chin with no receiver near it in the playoffs this year because Brock Purdy does try to throw the ball early. And sometimes it works out great and looks amazing. 
Other times, I, mean, I kid you not, he throws it directly to a zone defender because he yeah. doesn't expect them to be there. There's a lot of Kyle in Brock Purdy, and then when it's when it's not like and like some of those anticipation throws, like look, they got a free runner running a, a over a dig or something behind the linebackers who are sucked up from a running game. Like that's that's the anticipation throws we see a lot of. It's wide open guys running through the middle of the field because Kyle Shanahan's that good. So. And, <laughs> It is. Anyway, it is. And Brock Purdy throws off a of play action about 21% of the time. But you notice very early in games, especially against teams that are going to blitz, which makes all the sense in the world. You know, if he knows it's a blitz heavy defense, the play action goes not away, but significantly reduced because he's got to get the ball out quick. He wants to get to the hot quick. Kyle's on him about that. It's like, no, get the ball into Debo Samuel's hands in the flat because, hey, guess what? That works for us. But, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's the right decision to do. And so by blitzing, you can dictate some of that play action stuff. By doing some of that, you can dictate what they're comfortable running, what they're comfortable getting into. And that, you know, then inherently forces him to get the ball out quicker. You rally to the point of attack a little bit quicker. That's really where... I'm most concerned, and if we're going through some of the things that we're most concerned with here, I'm most concerned about the way that they quickly get the ball out to the flats or in the screen game, you know, with space. Over the past couple of weeks here, since basically the playoffs started, the Chiefs have not done a particularly good job of collapsing on the flats. There's way too much space out there right now. They are terrified of getting beat deep. I don't expect that that's going to change this week. They, they've they got burners. They've got guys that can win deep. So it's still going to happen. There's still going to be space on the outside. And so there's still going to be opportunities for some of these cushions that even these quarterbacks that we love and are really good at tackling in space, you're going to see guys with like Debo Samuel, guys like Christian McCaffrey or George Kittle with time after they catch the ball to set up a guy and try and run through them a little bit more. So it's going to be paramount that they rally to the ball. They get multiple guys on it because that's where I could see this going the other direction with these weapons. It's not about Purdy. It's not about reading the defense correctly. It's about getting the ball quickly in the hands of these elite playmakers. And then the Chiefs being so terrified of getting beat deep like they have been the past couple of weeks here saying, oh, well, we're going to rally the ball and bring these guys down. These aren't, you know, th this isn't Odell Beckham Jr. This isn't Justice Hill. This is Christian McCaffrey. This is George Kittle. This is, you know, Debo Samuel. This, these are guys that are bullies with the ball in their hands. So that's where I'm a little bit concerned about some things. Okay, so we had a question asked in 21 questions, and I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on this. Brandon Ayuk seems like the logical... Legerious need follow. What about Debo? What if this is a week where you I I, I know they're gonna move Debo around a lot more, but yeah. I just all yeah. I just I like I understand, but like I would almost like I wonder if you pick your spots a little bit here, just because like if they're gonna try to get the ball out to the you know, like if they're gonna try to get the ball out to Debo in the screen game and Legerious, I'd rather have Legerious over there trying to break through some stuff and trying to kind of bust some of those blocking schemes up and deconstruct some of that and then figure out how to deal with Ayuk elsewhere. You know, I don't know. It's just like, it's just like, I, it's just something I'm 
I'm thinking about. Like, it's a little harder to do it because Debo's going to move around so much. I just wonder if you want if you want your best player against their guy that kind of, I think, I think Debo sneakily makes this thing tick a little bit. And we've seen that with some of the EPA stuff that we've also seen, you know? So I don't know. It's just something I've thrown around. He goes, he just goes in the slot a lot. And when Legereus need has followed guys, it usually hasn't been a player that predominantly plays in the slot. Um, And like, I think Debo might be more important to their team. I think I, I think Brandon Ayuk's a better wide receiver, and somehow Debo Samuel might be more important to this 49ers offense. And like both yeah. those things I think can be true. And I think that's how it goes. But like if the whole point of Legereus Sneed shadowing somebody is to take away their best receiving option, I think you just have to stick them on Ayuk, have him take away Ayuk, who they will put in the backside of their three by one stuff, or when they decide to go four by one, like after the snap, Ayuk's the guy that gets that treatment. I would be a little nervous if that ends up being Ayuk versus a Joshua Williams or a Jalen Watson one-on-one on the backside. I would rather keep Snead there so I don't have to feel quite as nervous about stuff like that. And it's not like Williams or Watson are bad tacklers. They've all, they've made great tackles too in the open field. No, they're not Snead. It's like, I think Ayuk is the obvious choice and I get where you're coming from with Debo, but I think it kind of has to be Ayuk just because he is the guy that is a little bit better of a, just pure receiver of the two guys. Plus, they right. move him. Like, like you said, they move him so much. He's on so many motions. He lines up in the backfield trying to game plan around. How are we going to handle this? What is this next thing? What is all of this? I would rather say, okay, Trent McDuffie, if he's in the slot, he's on you, but know that Justin Reed is screaming downhill yeah. the moment he has an in-breaking route. I, I think Justin Reed's going to come up and lay the wood plenty in this game against George Kittle, against Christian McCaffrey, against Debo Samuel. I think that they're going to try and maybe try and give him a little bit more alligator arms, maybe try and you know, kind of adjust what this is by having Justin Reed play so aggressively in the middle of the field, like he has in the postseason so far. All right, Players to Watch time, presented by Tickets for Less. Promo code KCSN gets you the best guaranteed discount at ticketsforless.com. Make sure you're taking advantage of that. Craig... Player to watch. Chris Jones. It's as simple as that. I I know we're in the Super Bowl. You take your studs. This defensive line, this linebacking group, this defensive coordinator is one of the best in the league at getting the matchup they want in the pass rush. We've seen it. Steve Spagnuolo is elite at getting free rushers. He's the best in the league. He is literally number one in the league at getting free rushers. He dictates the rush plan. Joe Cullen is terrific at that and has allowed Chris Jones to line up wherever the hell he's felt like throughout the entire throughout the entire season, and it's paid dividends at times. They are going to come out with a game plan to get Chris Jones one-on-one all game long as much as possible. And when the Niners shift the strategy, you're going to see all sorts of looping rushers and things playing off of that. But in the meantime, when you do see Chris Jones get those one-on-one matchups, he's going to wreck this offensive line. It's not the 49ers offensive line of the past. It's not as strong. Chris Jones absolutely will dominate one-on-ones against this. And again, you show blitz, you back out, you bring the blitz, whatever the case may be, he's going to win on the inside. I actually really like that DraftKings bet, Kent. I really do, because 
I think that people are going to look at Mahomes and they're going to go, oh, well, they keep giving it to him. If Chris Jones has a monster game and the 49ers don't put points on the board, I think he's MVP, and I'm betting on it. So, Chris Jones, my player to watch, your future Super Bowl MVP. Oh, I mean, if he could, he would have to double his career playoff stats to get the Super Bowl. He might. He might. It's better get ready. Colt McKivitz better strap him up at right time. I imagine there's going to be a lot of Chris Jones lined up at the end over him. Um, man, there's a lot of guys I really wanted to pick for this. I just think there's a lot of different ways to go about it. Uh, we mentioned like the, the the McDuffies and Justin Reed and their impacts. So I'm going to go to the, the second level. I'm going to go with Drew Tranquil because I, I think that the Chiefs are going to need a linebacker. They're going to need somebody on that second level to come up and make big plays, and I don't mean this as a slight to any of the other linebackers. I think Nick Bolton will play more snaps, and he will come up with big plays. Willie Gay, will, his athleticism will pop, and he will make big plays. But you go back and look through the playoffs, and you want to point to a linebacker that is flashed from getting out to the flat and making a big tackle in the open space. You want to point to a linebacker that has showed off some kind of athleticism or just like high IQ in coverage in terms of, I don't know, let's say chipping a tight end and riding him out of a play and then dropping underneath the crosser right behind him to force the quarterback to tuck and try to run. I go right to Drew Tranquil, right? Like that's where my mind goes. And I think when you're dealing with this 49ers passing attack and rushing attack, he's going to throw a lot at you. There's going to be a lot of play action. There's going to be a lot of stuff trying to stretch you horizontally. I think that Tranquil is kind of the guy that's going to have to step up. He's the guy that is going to be responsible plenty for getting out into the flats and bringing down Christian McCaffrey. I don't mean shutting him down, but bringing him down and making that five-yard reception a five-yard reception and not a 25-yard gain. He's going to be a guy that's going to have to slip under the use check or the George Kittle crossers as they try to leak out. He's going to be one of the point men. Emily Schnell and Willie Gay are going to be the point men on a lot of these outside runs and have to make plays or be the backside linebacker trying to chase them down but not over-pursue. So just, I think True Tranquil and the linebacker group as a whole are going to be put into a lot of positions to have to make big plays. I think we're seeing it on these playoffs. There is a, I think Tranquil is making big play after big play week after week. He is going to do a lot of stuff that maybe flies under the radar when you're watching the game live, but when you go back and you watch, like, wow, this play got blown up because of what he did. The way he took on this lead blocker in the hole the way he shipped one player and then drifted back into coverage under another receiver really made this play work. So I think Drew Tranquil is in for a very important game. He will not be the best player competing for the MVP of the Super Bowl, but I think he's going to play a pivotal role in slowing down a very good 49ers offense. Uh, We've spent an hour on this show, and we haven't even talked about the Chiefs losing their second best defensive lineman to an ACL and not playing with him in this game. Charles Amini, you will not be playing in this game. And you heard Steve Spagnuolo talk this week about just how everybody's going to have to elevate their play just a little bit more to help account for what is a big loss. Um, I know we feel good about the Chiefs fence here. Um, He's still a very big loss. And the Chiefs are going to miss Charles Amini not being on the field. I'm going to go with George Karloffis and Mike Dana who will be tasked with helping replace him in some capacity. It's not going to be Charles Omenihi one like for like. He's been very good recently. Um, You're going to have to do it in the aggregate, and they're going to have to play the run exceptionally well. Um, Mike Dana, I think, you know, we've seen him with the games and stunts. He's going to have to get home a little bit with some of this stuff. He's going to have to do his job and help free some other people up on some of this. George got to be really good against the run. George Karloff just had his best rush of his career late in the game against the Baltimore Ravens. 
excellent. I'd love to see one or two of those in this game. Uh, they've they've got to get some pressure beyond just Chris Jones, and I think it's got to start with 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 George Karloftis. I think he's the one that can really help here off the edge. What we saw in that game against the Ravens is real. That would be very nice for this game. And George has had a wonderful start to his career, and he's been great. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but just a little, just elevate your game a little bit more. And he's a two, he knows nothing less than the Super Bowl championship in two years in his career. That is going to do it for the defensive preview of the Casey Laboratory. Thank you all so much for listening. We will be back to talk about the offense and, you know, predict a Super Bowl uh, on Thursday. Appreciate you. Catch you later. Sad. <laughs>